Okay. Uh, I put Nick Dream. <laughs> Welcome to First Time Through. New Eyes on Castle Rock. With Kim Payne. And Otto Mullins. start in chapter 11 today and just so you know what we're doing is we're taking this in 10 chapter bites because the unabridged book is 80 chapters we're gonna have eight episodes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this is first time through my name is Otto Mullins and this is my first time going through the stand we're starting at chapter 11 like Kevin said um, and so usually we start with a little recap Today, in chapter 11 through chapter... I, I read that to the end of chapter 20 is what I've been yep. doing. Cool. Yep. Um, Larry gets back. Uh, he goes to see his mom. And uh, he goes to see his mom at work. I think that's this chapter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I read, like, chapters 12 and 13... 11 through 13 before for the first right. episode when we were planning to do 20 episodes, yeah, chapters. Yeah. So it's like, this one's going to be That was like ambitious. A, yeah, <laughs> ambitious is the right word. Um... <laughs> So Larry's going to go back and he's going to meet his mom at work because he's not been having it. He just woke well, up at that woman's house. because he was house. a turd. <laughs> he, yeah, and he's he trying to apologize. He's trying to apologize. Um, and his mom is his mom is a saint, a wonderful woman that is just working hard and trying to pay her bills. And she is like, you know what? Fine, I forgive you. Here's some money. Go see a movie. And then it ends with a very ominous sentence. And I know we're going through this chapter really fast, but that's literally all I mean, you need really, to know out of this chapter. But then the last sentence, which says, "In the row behind Larry, a man was coughing," mm-hmm. she lets us know that. Captain Trips is in New York. Yep. Also, or in yeah, we find out that Captain Trips is the name of the disease in this. Uh, that's a little the bit too. the slang that the West Coast is calling it. Um. So then we get into twelve, which is another Franny chapter, and this Cut one. Cut the girl some slack, man. She's not done anything interesting. The only thing I've ever she's heard. She's young and pregnant and emotional, and her mom's kind of. So I guess, like in the seventies, like this might have been a more interesting story. But like in the the time of me growing up in teenage moms one through fourteen, like it's not that interesting to me. I guess Peter's really good. I like her dad more than her, so that sucks. But anyways, to the point of the recap. Right. Franny comes home. She's going to tell her. She goes to help her dad in the garden. And over the course of 14 pages of explaining what happened 10 years ago instead of what's happening now, she eventually tells her dad that she is pregnant. No, she tells her mom. No, she tells her dad. Oh, this is the chapter where she tells her mom. This is the chapter where she tells her mom. She told her dad in the last last section. Yeah. Okay. Then this one is a lot more... uh, so I think that this chapter is really important to establish why Franny is the way she is. It really tells you like what because she's it, it, dealing with with her right, family life. It, you know, her we we saw how close her relationship was with her dad mm-hmm. and in the previous chapter with her and in this chapter it it tells you why she is how she is because the way her mom treated her. And I think this is also the chapter two where we find out about Franny's little brother, right? Right. So during this chapter, Franny comes home and or she's already at home with her father and then their mother comes home and they're in this parlor and we find out a lot about the family history of this parlor and we find out that this parlor is where Franny's little brother had died. And after the death of her little brother, Franny's mother just 
decided to stop growing is how Peter puts it. Yeah. Is yeah, I guess she, like she, she really just, starts to, she's really set in the past. And she exists. Mm-hmm. And she goes through the motions but she isn't really participating in her family anymore. Mm-hmm. She's really keeping up appearances, is what yeah. it seems. And then, yeah. so when her daughter tells her that she's pregnant and she's only concerned about keeping up appearances, she loses her mind and essentially throws her daughter out. And it ends with her running upstairs after her dad has pretty much put his foot down and says, you're not kicking our daughter out of the house. Right. Which, like, good on Peter. Nice job. like to see that. Right. Um, and, uh... It ends with him just holding her and telling her, I love you. And I mean, okay, it's a plight, and I feel that. And, like, I do feel for the girl. Like, it is awful. It is. It sucks. It's just not interesting (laughs) in the context of everything else that is happening. Right. And especially, like, when you're going to go from that, and then we go to to the Mr. Redman himself. Stu Redman. Stu Redman. And this is the first chapter where uh, it really, like, became, like, a, a... a novel, like a story, like a, a big thing that's happening. Yeah, yeah. We this is kind of the first chapter where we have gotten away from, you know, just that exposition and character building, and this gets into this is the meat of the story. Mm-hmm. This is the first chapter that's kind of the meat of the story. So we end up with Stu uh, in the middle of this. It seems like an underground bunker. They don't really give us a lot of information, just that he's in this room. Yeah, and the only. Up to this point, the only thing that we've been told is they took them to Atlanta. Atlanta. So we can assume that this it's is like a CDC, CDC hospital mm-hmm. situation, but it they don't really tell us that. or He doesn't really tell us that. And this seems to be a continuation of the last chapter with Stu where he said, I'm not doing anything until you get me somebody to talk to. And eventually this guy Dietz comes in and they have this entire conversation and we learn that a couple of really interesting things. We learn uh, that... Uh, a bunch of people have died. Yeah. We've learned that there are still some people that are still alive that he mm-hmm. knows. And he. we also learned that they're very scared of Stu. Right. But they're, they're not scared of Stu. They're scared of the virus. But... They're concerned because he... Doesn't seem to be showing seem any symptoms. Doesn't seem to be showing any symptoms. And he's so been directly like, in contact. Yeah, so they put a guinea pig? A guinea pig. In the same room as in him. In the same air as him. And the guinea pig doesn't get it from him. So he not only is he not getting it, but he's not giving it out, giving it away either. Mm-hmm. He's not a, an asymptomatic carrier. And then I will say, like one of my favorite parts. So Dietz is interviewing him, and Dietz isn't really giving him any information. And Stu just says, uh, "Well, fine, then I'm not going to do anything." And then he just starts coughing. Oh and yeah. And then Dietz just immediately freaks out, and Stu just laughs, and he goes, "I was just faking." Mm-hmm. And it just really like shows you like it, it's Stu testing the boundaries, and I really enjoyed that moment a lot. I thought right. it was really great. I know you've got a thing for Stu. I do. I and... love Stu. He should be played by Billy Burke, like from <laughs> Twilight. Charlie, if anyone else is aware, I think it'd just be perfect casting. But regardless, we learn this is just a good chapter about like the what's going on around everything and how big it is. Pretty right. Much. Right. Like, this is where we learn. Um, it feels that... fragmented up until this point. Yeah, but we we learned that the people, the the Texans that he was with, that he was brought here with, Vic, Palfrey, Norm Barrett, Robert Bruett, Thomas Wanamaker, Ralph Hodges, Bert Hodges, Cheryl Hodges, Christina Ortega, Anthony Leo Meister, all of the people from his town that he was brought here with, they're all dead. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and and then, you know, he's like Ralph's whole family. No, Eva. 
four years old. The little girl Eva is still alive. Ralph was the terrible dude that we hated back in the right. like, in the right. earlier ones. So it's interesting that just the little girl is alive. Stu's still alive. No, Norm was who we. Oh, Norm was who we did yes. not like. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And Ralph was the one who who Norm's wife was Vic's wife. The wife was babysitting for. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. Um. So essentially, we learned the what happened to all of those. Uh, people in Texas after they were moved to Atlanta and we learn about it all through Stu's eyes and then at the very end of it we have what seems to be the thing that is actually going to be telling this entire story and Stu has a very interesting dream and it is I think I read it at the end of the last chapter so we're not going to go too deep or last episode we're not going to go too deep into it but it's very telling another dream pops up later on that has similar qualities very positive these dreams mean something Kim just looks at me when I say that (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Chapter 14. um, We are going to be... This is going to be a... uh, uh, Like a military update chapter. So we are with uh, Stunky, right? Or Starkey? That's his name? No, no. We're we're still with Dietz. Oh! Colonel Dietz. Oh, this is when he's giving the upgrade. Yeah, yeah. He's he's doing his recording update here, so... Um, It's really interesting, too, because you can see that through this update, he gives an update to whatever military like person that is in charge, I guess, now. Well, it's a, it's a recording. He's making a recording. A recording just for yeah. posterity. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's like, uh, plus, of course, a transcription of my conversation will be in the telecommunications disc, which also contrain- contains a transcript of this tape. And it's interesting to me because as we go through it, he starts to lose a lot of formality in it. And he just yeah. starts to really go into how awful it is. Right, right. Well, and then he says, uh, I saved the worst for last. We can declassify Princess back to plain old Eva Hodges, female, age four. Her coach and four turned back into a pumpkin and a bunch of mice late this afternoon. So now this is where we find out that the, his his last friend, or his last connection to home, to home is also dead. And he turns, stops the recording, and starts another cigarette. And that's it's a two-page chapter. It's really yeah, just well, to update us. And, and then, and then he does he he talks directly to Starkey, which he's not like verbally talking to him, but he's making this recording. And he says, "This scares me. It scares me because nobody but a very smart doctor with all the facts is going to be able to diagnose anything but a common cold in the people who are out there carrying this." It's, it's yeah, it's terrifying. Um, so after that military update, we go into chapter 15, which is another, uh, update. Oh, this is the chapter that just kind of shows you how, how things spread, no matter how careful you are. Right. So in this chapter, we have a nurse and it's just pretty much telling us like, even though there's all these protocols in place at this hospital, this nurse isn't supposed to do this. And if you're even sneeze once, you have to call your supervisor and do all this stuff. And at the end of it, she's just like, mm, it was just a sneeze. I'll be okay. And then she leaves. And it implies very heavily that, uh, and no, no, that's not what it implies. It doesn't imply. It no, says, it nevertheless, it says. on her way down in the white room, she infected an orderly, a doctor who was just getting ready to leave, and another nurse on her way to do her midnight rounds. A new day had begun. Mm-hmm. And it's a page and a half. And it's just to show you that no matter how much the government keeps trying to do all these things, it's going to 
slip through the cracks. Right. And it's and I say the government just because as I've been reading on, like I've been realizing the government's the antagonist. I, I mean, yeah, I, somebody made this, and yeah, it yeah. only makes sense that mm-hmm. you know it was a military installation. It was a military. Uh, patient Zero was mm. a, an army man. Well, and it gets really foreboding too. Like as uh, like we'll get further on, students our students citizens are starting to recognize that like this isn't real, like this isn't normal. Right. Um, right. And then we get into chapter sixteen, uh, which oh, is Poke and Lloyd. Poke and Lloyd. Yeah. Which doesn't seem to like really like add much to it yet for me but i imagine it's gonna be something that's gonna come but back in will. really hard yeah, yeah this is i mean i know that right now this feels very disconnected and it doesn't really cross-reference anybody that we've met yet but you know we're not done meeting new people yet i like the, <laughs> the biggest man that like person that stands out so during this chapter we meet two characters poke and lloyd and they are two men on the run from the law they're running out in a big white coat uh, continental, continental. Kodiak. Uh, and they've killed three people, uh, and they didn't intend to kill people. They had just went in to do a robbery, and they ended up doing a couple of murders instead, and they start getting out of town. And we just pretty much, we follow them as they're escaping from the law over a couple of days. Um, and we learn a little bit about them. They're not nice. They're not particularly smart. Right. Um, neither yeah. of them seem to be a man with a plan. Yeah, no, they're just kind of floating around, doing the thing, whatever Which does comes not seem next. like the smart move when you're being chased by the police. I mean, no. But, <laughs> but, but we've already established that they're not real smart guys, you know? Mm. They're driving way too fast, and they've got a hefty bag full of pot. I mean, really. Uh, it's very, like, the way that he's talking about it is very comical. Yeah. Like, uh, five grams of hash, a little tin snuff box and uh, Coke, mm-hmm. uh God knows how much coke and a 16 pounds of marijuana in a trash bag. Right. So it's a it's a good day in that yeah, car. So obviously they're having a good time and they really don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, and we start to just find out why they're being chased and what's going on. Um, and then they end up going. And it's really cool because this is similar to me of how he wrote the chapter with Annie and the main character of Misery, whose name Paul. is Paul. <laughs> How they he wrote the Annie Paul chapter with right. that switching back and forth mm-hmm. because in this one we are sitting in the car with them and then we go back in time to hear about like what right. why they're in this situation and then it goes back into it and now we're pulling into this gas station and they're pretty much saying like we just need to get some money we need to get some gas and some food we'll rob this place and we'll get out of here and we'll like go our way right so they right. they break in but, you know poke. and uh, <laughs> but poke happens man poke happens um, and there's this like old woman who's sitting there watching TV and uh, he shoots her and he just yells, I pokerized her old buddy. Right, right. She'll never watch Jerry fall well again. Whoop, whoop. And then a man in cowboy clothes kept turning. And I feel like this cowboy man's going to end up being important for some reason. Well, just because. You know, but then he immediately gets but shot. But maybe, you know, he's just trying to be the good guy with a gun. Yeah. I mean, there's good guys with guns just like there's bad guys with guns. Right, right. Um, and essentially, we end up going through and Poke gets shot or is Lloyd? Yeah, Poke. poke, poke so the shot. cowboy turns around, Poke sh- gets shot in the face. Through his mouth, blood, tissue, teeth spraying everywhere. He just starts screaming about how he's shot. Lloyd turns around and starts shooting. Um, and I think he does hit the part. He raked the Schmeisser. The man in the shell cap. Um, 
Lloyd bullshit with fear. Continue the fire. Yeah. So Lloyd's just sitting there. I with imagine a, with behind a like gun. with a machine gun behind like, like some candy. Ah. Just ah. it's it's a very comical very, moment. Very not organized. Yes. Oh yeah. Um, and again, it goes to that you know he's just not very smart. And he somehow eventually hits the cowboy, mm-hmm. and he says, "I got him poked. Don't worry." Um, and they go to get out. Ooh, yeah, okay. yeah. Sorry, it's just, it gets really, like, messy. It does. Because um, it, just because so much is happening, because right. the police well, start to and show they're, up. And, you know, they're screaming at each other, and it, it's it's chaos. I mean, there's a shoot-up. It's it's chaos. So, yeah. Um, but the, the, the cops show up, and, uh, yeah. <gasps> he didn't kill the cowboy. The cowboy's still alive. Okay. Very important news. Because he says... Uh, gaped mouth, smoking pistol, uh, and prepared to empty the 357 into his head. Lloyd stood watching, gaped mouth, the smoking machine gun, dangling one, and still trying to figure out how all this had happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that moment, popped back up in his face. He had a double barrel shotgun, and then Poke gets shot. Um, <laughs> this is a good line, too. Huh, Poke said, and looked up just in time to get both barrels. He went down, his face a worse mess than ever, and not caring a bit. <laughs> right. He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> he's dead. Uh, and Lloyd runs out and he's like, ah, no, the police. Oh, my God. No, it's that guy. There, He's in there. He's just ran out the back. Um, and they're not buying that at all. So they get him. I mean, but you got to give the guy uh, an A for effort there. He's, you know, like, he's like, no, I'm out. It was him. I didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, I mean, it's an effort, like, <laughs> right. I guess. Uh, and they end up, like, going, no, nah, that's not true. And they knock him out. And he wakes up in Apache County Jail. And... That's all we know about yeah. these people. So Poke's dead. Lloyd's in jail. The cowboy might be dead, might not be dead. It's it's hard to tell. He seems very important. I'm very focused on this cowboy, if you can't tell. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, you know. It's a thing. <laughs> so we get into chapter 17. Um, I can't believe we're already in 17. But there's just not a whole lot. So we are, we're, now we're back with Starkey. Starkey. This is where That's we get back with Starkey. Starkey. Yeah. And yeah. this is him reporting into, uh, we just know him as Blue base one mm-hmm. no he's blue base one it's lion regardless though this is where we find out that like the government's going to do whatever they want to right right um and he's got this conversation and they're pretty much ex- uh, talking about how there's this town in sipe springs named sipe springs that was starting to put it all together a little bit a doctor had made some good guesses and there's some reporters starting to ask questions and so there's two reporters in particular that are about to publish a story about the the disease and everything, um, and he essentially goes on the the horn and he says, "Lion, do you read? We read five by one, blue base one." Troy Starkey said deliberately. I repeat, Lion Troy. Repeat black, please. Silence. Over to you, or repeat back, please. Over to you, and we just pretty much end up. It really implies that this kid just is scared. And, yeah. like, the other person on the end of the line eventually, like, stutters back in Troy. And God bless you, son. Over and out. And we go, and it immediately cuts in to a highway on Sipe Springs. And these mm-hmm. two reporters listening to a certain song named Baby Can You Dig Your Man. <laughs> I love how, like, he just continues. Every time there's a well, radio, sure. he's like, I mean, whoa, not? the newest hot mm-hmm. single does happen mm-hmm. to be on in this. Which is just fun. Uh, it just really adds to the world, I think. And... 
they get killed. They get run down. Right. The they photographer. They get broken. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. They get shot. Or they get trailed by, like, some Bonneville, right? Mm-hmm. No. He began to scream in his mind. The Bonneville is what they're driving. It's just an army truck. So uh, army truck starts chasing him down and eventually runs them off the road and kills both of them. Right. And we realize that Troy... And the very last sentence of this one is, there's no published report of disease or any other trouble in Cypress Springs, Texas, that day. Right. So it shows us it, that... Yeah, this is just the, the violent cover-up. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, oh, but then we get back to... And Nick. I love Nick. I love He's Nick. so good. He um, is good. I, I've always loved Nick. And this is a really long chapter, too. Um, just because, one, we learn a lot about Nick. And I think Nick... I'm being honest. It seems like Nick is Stephen King's favorite character. Uh, you know, I think that there's right some, now at least. Right, right. It's just he's really he's just really interesting well, as a and, character. Well, because right off the bat, he makes him really real. Oh yeah, and I mean all I mean all of them have a certain depth to them, but I think that we get Nick's depth first. I think Nick is the one that his depth is the most surface level, which sounds weird, but. On the level of the surface, you're going to see why he has that depth, if that well, makes sense. Well, because he he has to share so much in order to be able to even... Communicate. Communicate. So, you have to yeah. tell everyone you're, like, pretty much your handicaps right. if you want to be able to communicate with right. them effectively. Mm. So we end up with Nick. Nick is with uh, Baker, the sheriff. And essentially, uh, Baker ends up uh, offering him a job as a little... Uh, yeah, he kind of... Not really deputizes him, but kind of deputizes yeah. him to, to... To pretty much, he's not feeling well. Uh, right. Spoiler, I mean, a little foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, so yeah. Sheriff, Sheriff, Sheriff Baker's decides. not feeling well, so he, he asked Nick to help him out with, you know, the guys who beat him up. Yeah, so he's you know, like, he's these three like, guys that beat you up are still in prison in the jail, uh, in cells, the jail cells here. here. Would but, you uh, mind this, watching them while I go home and get a nap? Right. So, you know, the state cops are going to pick him up later. It'll be fine. Just watch him for a few hours. The missus will bring you some food to feed him. It'll be fine. And But it's really cute because during all of this, it's him and his wife having a conversation at the dinner table. And it's pretty much his wife going like, you're telling me that that boy can't just put hot cakes in a cell. And like, he can do it. Like, you need to rest. Like, you're running right. yourself ragged. Right. And eventually that's how Nick becomes the deputy. Um, and he ends up going down to the uh, trucks, or down to the police station gets them some breakfast and dinner and he ends up this was a really good like really really good i liked Mm -hmm. this part a lot because we end up finding all about nick's like life history essentially because he tells the sheriff he's gonna write down a story to tell the sheriff and his wife exactly yeah um so he writes down all the story and everything and we learn a lot about nick and we learn about how he learned to read and write he learned we learned about how his mom died we learned about how his dad died and for such a like young kid, one of the things that really struck me too, uh, and we can talk about it in a little bit though, is like how he talks about how his mom died being hit by a motorcycle, and mm-hmm. he just there's no blame, which is just for a 22 year old kid to have right. no blame about the man that killed his mother is, that's a very like strong sensible kid, mm-hmm. and he we end up finding out about this man named Rudy that he had met, and Rudy was another man who was deaf and mute. And taught him to read and communicate with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and he pretty much became his dad after that. Right. And then at 16, uh, the orphanage that he was in uh, was getting shut down. So he ran away so he wouldn't get put into another one. And he's been on the road for the last six years doing odd jobs and everything ever since. Right. Um, Baker comes back 
And we find out that Nick only needs like two or three more credits to like get his high school diploma and then be able to go to college. And which is really cute. And it's like, this is like, I know like it's funny because I feel like such a hypocrite Hmm. saying about how boring Annie or Franny's story is. But then simultaneously being like, Nick's everyday life is so interesting and incredible. Well, I mean, Franny has what a lot of people think of as a normal life. You know, she lives at home with mom and dad. She graduated high school. Mom and dad are paying for her to go to college. Everything's great. She's on the track to do all the the normal things. Mm-hmm. And Nick is like her exact opposite. He has had, he has gone to the school of rough knocks and... He has had to fight for every bit of anything he's ever had. I think that's and one thing that's good about this book, like you're talking about, is it really hits a lot of demographics. Yeah. Not every demographic, but it hits no. a lot of demographics. Well, and, and I think that there's somebody in this story, that there's somebody for pretty much anybody to everybody. connect to. Yeah. Um, in some To some degree or another. And I think that that's, again, one of the things that, that Stephen King has done so well is making believable characters and and characters that you know we talked about this that that you want to know what happens next mm-hmm. um, the gotta the gotta mm-hmm. yeah I he mean, really, and he does do it because one of the hardest parts we were just talking about is now that i'm only reading this in segments when i have like a day off and i normally would sit there and read like as much as i could i'm only reading like t- 10 and 11 chapters because mm-hmm. like and then i'm like ah, i have to just stop, have to now? stop now okay <laughs> and sucks. it's yeah it's hard um okay so, so back into this chapter yeah, yeah. we end up meeting the next thing that happens is they call the doctor to come and uh check on nick because nick still hasn't been to the doctor after he was well, beaten he, no, savagely the, the doctor oh he the was the one that dropped him off hit him mm-hmm. and so the doctor's doing follow-up he yeah. comes check on the stitches and the things that he had already and this is where we and... really find out how bad nick got beat up too because right. his entire chest and torso is uh bruised he's got a it's he's almost got his nipple taken off right and he got stabbed in the nipple with some kind of crescent looking thing um, the ring, probably. Oh, the ring. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. He probably got punched in the chest. Yeah. Right. Um, and then he got his two front teeth smashed out, which is right. like, that probably hurts a lot. Um, and then also the doctor is like, your wife asked me to look at you, uh, Sheriff Baker. So he's taking a look at Baker. And I think what's really fun here is, uh, and Baker is like, hey, you're sick. You need to go home immediately. He's like, this isn't a normal flu. Like, right. you, there's something different about this. Right, go right. home and rest. The doctor is... Uh, the doctor's smart. I, I was what I was about a, to say too, because literally one chapter ago, the guy saying only a really smart doctor would be able to deduce this as more than just the common cold or flu. Mm-hmm. And so immediately we're like this old man that just lives in the middle of like this small little town in, in Arkansas. Can, yeah, Arkansas. And he's just like, this is not a normal flu. You need to go figure this out. Like go home and get rest. Right, right. So it just shows you that like intelligence think, isn't limited by a place right well and i think that um the other thing that it shows is you know um not necessarily that the doctor has to be the smartest doctor but the doctor has to be experienced yeah and i think oh that's that really good that's why it's an older man doc- an older yeah. doctor because he's gonna have seen so many more flus he's gonna right be, mm-hmm. he's gonna have seen a lot more over the years he may not have the newest educational intelligence but he's got a, the wisdom a, the wisdom of the life experience His and being probably the, the the small town doctor 
for his entire adult life. For all of these people, too. So he's right. seen what it's probably like. Probably the only doctor in town. Especially Sheriff Baker. He's probably seen what it's like when he has a regular flu. Right. Um, so essentially, he ends up being sent home, and Nick's in charge of the jail again. Right. Gives him some breakfast, and uh, ends up sleeping there. And the next day, um, it's like 9 o'clock. And the sheriff, uh, the police are supposed to be there to yeah, take the, these guys. Yeah, the state cops are supposed to pick them up. And they haven't shown they haven't up shown yet. Up. And Sheriff Baker hasn't shown up yet. And these guys are back, and they're just pretty much asking, like, they're just banging on the cells. And, you know, because Nick cares. <laughs> yeah. And it's just a really funny line. He's like, just showing that you don't have to be able to hear to be one of the dumbest people around. <laughs> uh, and I thought that was a good line. And essentially we walk back in there and Nick finds the two of them uh, making jokes and every, or, or making like noises and everything trying to get his attention mm-hmm. and one of them is on the ground passed out sick as can be right and the one's like ah oh, you're just a little wimp and the one man that's still standing there just loses all jokingness and in complete sincerity is he's sick he needs help will you please do something right. also right. will you get us breakfast <laughs> just like it was breakfast. funny how he said that in the, yeah breakfast <laughs> I really like how Stephen King will go out of his way to like write little ways to do uh, like you, dialect know, dialect that's how yeah. it is yeah. yeah it's really clever and I like how he does it yeah that's and that's a, a trademark through all mm-hmm. the books you'll see oh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was everything. doing a lot with Annie mm-hmm. um, and so uh, oh he does a lot with like the Brooklyn people too like Larry will talk to yep so he ends up uh, going out and he's like, I'm going to go get the doctor and I'm going to go get you guys some breakfast. And he leaves a note on the desk and he leaves out. And as he's going, he sees Dr. Soames' car driving down the main road and he waves him down. And Dr. Soames pulls in and stops. And up to this point, Nick makes a big point of telling us about how empty the whole town is, how yeah. it's just deserted and like nobody's there. And Dr. Soames sits there and he's like, Oof, he's, you can tell he's just not, like, he's tired, exhausted. Right. And you can tell that just from the words that, like, Nick uses to describe him. And we find out that Sheriff Baker is dead. Right. He died at 2 a.m. last night. Uh, he had gotten better, then got worse, and then got even worse, worse. And Dr. Soames turns out to be the uh, the biggest... Uh, what was the last so, one? Oh, we find out he's dead. Yeah, and we find out Dr. Soames is actually like the biggest conspiracy theorist. Right, um, yes. Well, he says he's not, but then he also then is he also like, is. somebody's hiding something. This is a cover-up. And mm-hmm. he's right. Um, But he also... But again, because he's wise, he has seen a lot of things in his years of doctoring. And... He's obviously sick, too. He's yes. already caught it, and he's been coughing and he's sneezing this whole time. And I think that we're starting to realize at this point, at least I am, that any of the main characters that we're getting from these point of view are going to be people that are immune. They're going to be people I mean, that, like, th- there's no point in telling their story unless, like, we're going to be able to see their story through this. Right. Or we're going to be really, really, really moved when one of them dies. I mean, that's those are both valid like, I feel theories. Like, yeah. <laughs> those are both valid theories. But... Essentially, we find out how far the government is willing to go in this chapter to keep everything to like contained. So they end up. Uh, Soames tells us that there's no way to get into the town now. They put yeah, up they a blockades at yep. the exits on the freeway into this town. They've put a giant car crash at one edge of the main drag to get into town, mm-hmm. and it's uh, there's no police or anything out there yet to clean it up, and they just haven't been able right. to get out there. On the other side of that main drag to get in is construction. 
Right. And the man that lives on that side of the town is saying that uh, it's very unlikely that those are real construction men because they keep saluting each other. <laughs> right. And yeah. so... Uh, mm, not good actors either. <laughs> they're not really, like, holding their cover at all. <laughs> right. And... Uh, and then the phones. None of the, the phones, phones don't work. work. They you don't know, call out. They, they don't can call, call in town, but right. they can't call out of the town. Right. So... You know, and again... We have to set this in a time. This is really... I mean, there were cell phones in 1990, but they were... I imagine this chapter is written in 78. Well, I mean, like, all of it was written in 78, but it's set in 1990. Oh, so, okay, okay. you know, cell phones weren't really a thing yet, and this is... I can't imagine that, it. like, when you're then, writing something 12... You can't imagine 12 years in the future, technology is going to advance so far that this landline phone is going to be something I'm able to take with me everywhere. Right. Like, that but, doesn't... Like, that's and, not a... Like, and they existed in 1990, but they were very, very I think the only ones I've unusual. ever seen from the 90s are, like, the giant the box giant ones that you put phones. on your, like, belt well, or whatever. Well, and probably in 1990, they were the bag phones. And the messenger bag And you've probably never ones. even seen one I've seen those. pictures, but um, not one in real life. But, yeah, like... It, you know, it looked like you were going to call in an airstrike or something. Mm-hmm. They were huge and not, I mean, they were stupid expensive. So not many people had them, but I mean, so landline phones and then, and it was also like circuitry, you know, you could in those days block off. Whole Where, sections. The, a whole section. Well, then of, we already know right. that because like they blocked off all of uh, that Arnett in Texas as well. Right. Um, right. And, Nick. You know, and in these small, small towns, I mean, they were on like a, a separate circuit and, you know, long distance is one of those things that's gotten, you know, it's free now to call long distance, but in these days, it was really expensive mm-hmm. to, to call long distance. It wasn't something you could just like casually afford right. and get. Right, Um And I think, so Nick is, in, in, Nick de facto ends up becoming sheriff uh, in this moment and he goes back to... The uh, Dr. Soames is like, I got to go and check on Dr. Soames is going to die very soon. And Sarah, very sad because he's not concerned about his own health at all. He's only worried about the people that he can go and help because he's a doctor. Which is, you know, I think something that. It's admirable. Lot, I, well, and I think that that is kind of in direct contrast of Annie, the other medical professional that we've read about. You know, mm-hmm. she had no real regard for the value of life. And on the other end of that medical provider. You could argue Annie valued life so much that she didn't want kids to live bad lives. Well, I mean, I guess that that's You is, could argue that. You'd be wrong, and I wouldn't like you. But, um, <laughs> but I think that it, this is kind of the important other end of that spectrum that, that Dr. Soames is... There's people that like truly live and die by the Hippocratic exactly. Oath because exactly. it means that much to them. Um, and Nick goes back to the jail cell, and the man that was sick is dead by 6 o'clock that day. Yeah. So, you know, so here he is. The sheriff is dead. The doctor is sick. He's in charge of these three, three prisoners, prisoners who beat him up. And the one man that almost, and the leader of the three of them is, still, is not in prison, by the way. He ran run. away. Yeah. And so we can also tell, too, that, like, this is something that just dawned on me. If the army has the entire area surrounded, probably not really far that this man can get away. I mean, that's that's a, a, a theory. Um. All right. And so now we're going to go right into... A very, very sad chapter. Um, yeah, and in this extended man. book, it was the first time that had an illustration, too. And I was like, that's unnecessary. I didn't uh, need the illustration right now. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't unnecessary. It was really good timing. I mean, it, it really is. And, and there's. It's a really, like, really cool art yeah, image as well. It, it almost. Um, 
like the lines in Shadow Work in it are really beautiful. Yeah. Um, almost. It's almost. Um, almost like a. Mm, like a lino carving, like a linogram. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it reminds me of. I can see that. Um, uh, just like with the stark lines mm-hmm. and like, you can, yeah. it's almost like a depression. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Um, anyway. So we get back into Larry and he is uh, waking up at home and he comes out uh, to talk to his mom and she's like, I'm not feeling good. I'm feeling kind of sick. Um, but what kind of eggs do you want? And he, she makes him some scrambled eggs and she's told him that like, ah, oh, no, I called in sick for the day and... Yeah. Just already so which, much foreshadowing. It's already you know, like, oh no. We've we've already established that mom, Alice, is is not that person. You mm-hmm. know, she's gotta be on death's door to call in sick. Yep. You know, she's a she was a single mom in New York City. Um, so she obviously has been a hard worker. So And she's pretty much like, I'm not going to a doctor or anything. I'm just gonna stay home and take some aspirin because I'm not feeling well. And so Frank's like, okay, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to help you a little bit. He moves the TV into her room, and he goes and buys her some books, and he gets her some orange juice and everything. And So a little bit of role reversal. It's going to give Larry a chance to kind of take care of mom instead of Yeah, which is nice. He he gets that little bit. Um, And eventually he's like, nope, can't do this anymore, though. She's getting on my nerves. So he just leaves, and he's like, I'm going to go and get some stuff done. Right. Um, So he goes to the arcade, and he's sitting there. Yeah playing on the arcade and eventually he just doesn't want to well, do that anymore and he goes to he the goes to, he goes to make a phone call exactly he's gonna call his friends back out on the west coast he's gotta kind of get a, a feel for how things are going out there and we're really things starting are not to, good here he's not he's realizing that like just because he ran back home it's not good yeah. like nothing changed like he's still in the same situation he's just in a different place right and he's further away from anywhere where he could take action to make things better now yeah um so he calls this uh uh, Arlene's, I think is what it is, right? Oh, no, Jane's Place, which is this uh, little, it seems to be like a... a pool hall. Yeah, that he would frequent when he was on the West Coast. Um, and he's trying to get a hold of Wayne Stuckey, who's the guy that gave him, like, you know, pretty much gave him the talking to yeah. and told him, like, hey, right. like, get your straight. stuff together. And she's, he's talking to this girl, Arlene, and apparently, like, they got all a fun little history together. And we find out that he has a envelope of uh, with a savings account checkbook in it that has 13 grand in it. Um, and uh, to him, all of his problems are solved. Right, because now he can pay off his dope guy and make his next car payment or two. And, and maybe give his mom maybe something. Maybe give his mom a little something. And so, uh, so he goes to call his mom, and uh, she doesn't pick up. Um, and he was like, oh, maybe she went into work. But no, it didn't seem like she was strong enough for that. Um, and then he uh, got a cab, and he went home. And he knocks on the door. And like this is a good scene, but chapter yeah. like I would say too. By the way, like this is a this is how you do it because this right. is like it denotes time. It denotes like we're traveling. It mm-hmm. denotes a change, and you set it up and then you like place it yeah. afterwards. Like that, it's just really really good. Like well, this and, one and, was good. And I knew that you would appreciate the <laughs> writing style in this one. Yeah. And I mean, like, now that, like, we looked at it through that lens of, like, why the writing style affected it, I think that it was a good choice, and it really helped with the novel of Misery. Right. Doesn't mean I have to like it. That's exactly right. You don't have Uh, to like it. And... As long as you understand why why it's done the way it's... And I think that's, like, as long as you can understand why you don't like something, that's fine. Yeah. Like, if you just say you don't like something... Just to just arbitrarily not not like like it. Yeah, that's yeah. dumb. <laughs> um, it's just like saying you like something because you saw someone on the internet say they liked it. Right. Um, bum, 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 bum. So 
Larry gets home after this incredible scene break. He knocks on the door a couple of times, and it's locked, and he can't get in. And then all of a sudden, he can hear a groan inside. And uh, he just starts hitting the wall. Um, he, Breaking, hits, he breaks down the door. He breaks down the door. And he hears the groan again, and he hears mom. And he goes into the kitchen, and his mom is laying there halfway out the door, lying on the floor through the kitchen and half in the bedroom. And you turn the page, and you get this engraving of pretty much yeah, Larry yeah. standing over his mother in bed. And he's calling the hospitals. He's trying to do everything. And his mother is completely right. delirious. Well, and, and this is where, I mean, this is where we kind of really get a sense of how this is in New York City. Okay, so just to establish what's happened here, Champion, or Campion, was in California. Mm-hmm. Stu was in Arnett, Texas. Larry is in New York City. Franny's in Maine. Franny's in Maine. Okay, but but in New York City, he tries to call the hospital, and it's he gets a recording because all of the circuits are busy. There's been too many people There's calling been the hospital. There's too many people calling the hospital. So this is a recording. Your call will be taken as soon as possible. Your call will be taken as soon as possible. So in New York City, the biggest city in the country, the hospitals are overwhelmed. And he even tries to call a private ambulance. Mm-hmm. Or no, he says, should he call a private ambulance? And he makes a joke about how, which is very accurate, why right. they don't teach you anything that you could use in life at school. Because right. he's like, why didn't everyone ever teach me about like what to do in a medical crisis? Right, right. And uh, he just runs downstairs. And as he's running downstairs, the door flies open and a bunch of rain comes in. And that's just where the chapter ends on a very ominous note right. there. right. And we get into chapter 20 with Bran. At least it's getting interesting with her now. The first two pages are about her writing a friend in college a note about some girl's wedding. So, like, none of this seems pertinent in any way. I think it's important, though, to illustrate that what Franny's doing here is trying to hold on to something that feels normal to her. And, you know, we both know how important those things that feel normal are this year. And that makes sense to um, me. Especially, and she even says that she just doesn't want to talk about it anymore. And right. She, like, because she has that little part where she's like, I got lots of problems too, just don't really want to talk about it. Right. Hope you're doing well. Right. So, and you know, she just... That's relatable. It is, because sometimes you just don't want to have to deal with the reality of what's going on around It's nice you. to just be able to, like, disassociate a little bit. Yeah. And, and it's and not healthy. Think, it's not needed. But, I mean, we but, all need it every once in a while. Exactly. And I feel like that she's just, you know, focusing on some things that are less stressful for her. Anyway. So, well, in this chapter, Franny gets, uh, the big thing that happens is we have three phone calls for Franny. Right. The first one is her finding out that she had gotten a room uh, with their friend Debbie, and they were both like, we both come from big families, we don't mind babies. Right. And so she's really happy about that. Right. So, you know, so she's got her uh, a future plan, so, you know, she can wrap that up and put a bow on it, and, th- and now that's one less thing that mm-hmm. she's got to worry about. Second call is from Jess, and uh, this is the conversation, and uh, we had a little bit of a, Kim and I had had this conversation a little bit on the way here today. But this book gets a little dated in some places. Yeah. And for me, this is one of the conversations particularly. Right, right. Because if this conversation was published in a book today, it would just kind of like a little bit be thrown out the window as like a right. lot of misogyny. 
Right. Um, and I think that, like, if nothing else, though, it does tell us a lot about Jess. Right. And, like, we even get so far as, like, to be told, like, that Jess, that uh, Fran expects Jess to stay something chauvinistic and misogynistic. Like, right. he, she's expecting him to be awful. Right. Um, so. Which says a lot about, you know, her choice in men. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like yeah like that you know that person that well that like you expect them to be terrible but also like you're right. like I'll still like hang out with you and like be your friend and everything right it is like yeah it really makes you wonder and she has that conversation with him and she essentially is like Jess I don't want you in my life you have no responsibilities here you get no rights this isn't really your choice anymore all you did was get me pregnant right and she's pretty much like puts her foot down and hangs up and uh it really seems to be very, it's a very final conversation. Like, it puts yeah, a little really button does. on the front of this story. Right. And uh, then we get the last call, which is from her father. And we find out that her mother is very sick and is right. in bed now. And essentially, we just find out that she's been doing, like, 400 things a day since Fred died, right. which is her little brother. And then since that point, they just have been constantly... Older brother. Fred, Fred uh, was her... Fred was the youngest. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, and she's just been keeping herself busy since then right. to not have to think about it. And it's pretty much gotten her to the point of exhaustion. And on top of that, she, like the doctor says later on, or in this exchange, maybe it's in a couple of pages that she is essentially opening the door for the first bad germ that walks by. Right. Right. And the first bad germ that walks by happens to be Captain Trips. Yeah. And... Four hours later, after that phone call, when she hangs up on her dad, she gets another call, and it is just her dad, and it's very foreboding. She and like this is a very recognizable moment for me, like where you just have that phone call, and like there's nothing bad happening, but you just immediately get a sense of something bad happened, right? Like right. that sense of doom, right? You know, you pick up the phone and you answer that call, and you know that the person on the other end does not have good news, mm-hmm. yeah. and she ends up. Finding out that her mother is on the verge of death, and her father called the ambulance to come and pick her up, and she got put on a wait list. So, as you were saying, in New York, how bad it's getting. Now we're showing how bad it's getting in rural areas. Right. So, if we're not doing well in a big metropolitan area with hundreds of ambulances, I can only imagine a uh, hospital with two ambulances is not doing great. Right. And then... And they said that the when the ambulance got there, there were six people in the back, in the back. already. So, so seven. Mm-hmm. You know. So they go, and Peter essentially comes to go pick up. Uh, and Franny says, can you drive? Can you come pick me up? And he comes to pick her up. And she's essentially sitting there on the edge of her porch, just waiting. Right. And she's, and, and has, she's got this guilt. Mm-hmm. You know, because she feels like... She gave her mom this traumatic news, and now that's her mom's sick, and edge. that's what pushed her over the edge. And, you know, I mean, we know that that's not real. And, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that deep down, Franny knows that that is also not real. But there's that, that you know. The, the little voice. The, the little voice, yeah. The little voice is like, yep, this is your fault. You did this. So, you know, here we are at the end of the... First that, quarter of the book. And that's the first 20 chapters, or first, the 10 chapters. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, yeah, so the 20, end of chapter 80, 20. Yeah, the first yeah. quarter. And a lot of it really, like, 
sets it up for that. Like, that's some yeah. really exposition. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, this this book is long, but it's important that we know these characters. I mean, it's it's just really it's important that we have a connection with these characters. Um, and that's, I mean, it is, it is. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's gonna take some time and we will continue throughout the book to meet and learn more about these characters, but we have to get a, a sense of where they are at the beginning mm -hmm. and how this is directly affecting them. I guess like pretty much we've had 10 chapters now of just where they are mm -hmm. when this happens right. and like this is they all seem to be like these are all their like starting events these are all their like first precipice if we're looking right. at this through a story structure then this is their first chance to be challenged mm -hmm. you know it's going to change the status quo it's going to really truly break everything and every single one of them are experiencing that in a different way right right um, you know larry's mom is super sick and can't get to a hospital. Franny's mom is super sick and was loaded into, you know, a meat wagon. We can basically. just assume they did. Um, I have a very I, like. It does not seem likely that they're you know, surviving. And and you know the sheriff's already dead, mm -hmm. so Nick's on his own, and you know everybody that Stu was with is is dead. dead. Um, yeah, so. It's not looking well for it's, it's a not, lot of our characters. They're all starting to promising. really be isolated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that's, you know, it's good for you to know how they've been connected and where those disconnections are happening. So. Well, right now, though, it doesn't even feel like they're connected. It really feels like well, the only thing that connects them is to the, the, their lives. They're the, connected to their lives, not oh, to okay, each other. Okay, I see what you're saying. I'm really interested to see how they all end up being connected together. Yeah. Because I know that that's got to happen or else there's no point in telling us all these different threads. Right. Especially Polk and Lloyd. I'm yeah. really curious to see how they... Ended because up it's interacting so and different from where everybody else is. Yeah, it yeah. was not even similar at all. And yeah. it didn't feel like it was even part of the same story because it didn't really have much to do with any kind of sickness. Right. But, you know, things will happen. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, we're, at a, I mean, this is really, I mean, there's not good stopping places. It's so hard. And like, um, that's why we have to do it on this way. But we rhythm. have to do it mm -hmm. this way because, you know, you've got to, you've got to stay in your thing so that. You know, it really is yep. your first time through. Um, I've already finished the book again because, you know, that's my <laughs> job is to make sure that I have got all of these things kind of fresh in my mind. And so... Is there anything, like, um, new or interesting that you noticed in this section, like, reading through it again? Um, you know, reading through this this year has been really weird. I mean, um, obviously, uh, the... COVID-19 is not as deadly as this. Um, and it's not, the communicability rate isn't as high. But, you know, reading this during, you know, a global pandemic is, um, it gives it just this next level of realism. Um, I, I, I know that this is like fantastical realism, but these things, obviously this thing, these things can happen. And I've, this book has always been frightening to me because it's such a, I don't want to say realistic, that's not the right word, but mm -hmm. plausible um, reality. And so 
reading it right now is is like next level. <laughs> it, it really adds another level of terror when every yeah. sentence is, and then the man behind him started coughing. Right. And then at the same time, I, I mean, know that when I'm when in public, I have store. to think about like being aware of like people showing symptoms of things just right. that way. Like you can stay ahead of it. Exactly. And, you know, we're all being cautious, but this is, and, and, you know, we're being cautious and wearing masks and doing the things. And, and so we're able, and obviously COVID is not nearly as um, deadly as this, but this, one of the things about this is that it's happening so fast Mm -hmm. that even if there was some kind of precaution that they could possibly take, it's happening too fast for them to even know that there's a precaution that they can take. I think the biggest thing for me right now is that it seems so based in human reality that I know it's going to end up being supernatural. I And I know that, like, I, I do have, like, small little things that I know about the story. Like, I know right. that, like, I know of Randall. I know that, like, there's a 108-year-old woman. Like, I know, like, people right, are immune. Like, but I don't know, like, I mean, literally anything else. Book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, like, I've picked up things just from it, you know, living. Right. But... You just don't add, like, those strange dreams like that right. unless they mean something. Right. You don't have all of these things that seem to be coincidences and connections like this. It's just there are too many coincidences in a novel for them to not mean something. Right. Yeah. And I'm really interested to see where that all where goes. Where that goes next. Mm-hmm. Yep. Especially, like I said, when they all get together or if they ever all do get together, how they interact with one another is going to mm-hmm. be really interesting after they've all been through this shared the shared trauma. Right. Especially knowing that they're the only people in the world that are pretty much like, that seem to be, you know, immune. Right. You know, join us next week because we're going to read the next 10 chapters. Um, and we're going to get know, back to start with I just want to like too. do a little thing though real quick first where Stu Redman, still the best. Yeah. Franny, still the worst. Nick, still top tier. Really love Nick. Larry, uh, I don't know. Larry's there. Like, I get like, I get his insecurities. I get like the way he feels and like mm-hmm. the guilt and like that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I'm very excited for him to like challenge himself by growing through that. And I think right. that, that that is his character arc, and it will be interesting to see him like grow like that. I, I yeah. Um, I think you're on the right track. Peter, top notch. Love him. He's really got to die though, which is sad. Um, Just because I feel like him dying is going to be the thing that pushes Franny's character to do whatever needs to be done. Um, Stu's just a badass. He's going to do whatever he needs to do to accomplish whatever he wants. Um, he's I mean, perfect. Because they established that from the very beginning. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. He went to work and took care of his mom he and He was brother 14 and, and he went to work at the calculator factory. Right. He's a man that gets things done. Right. He is not, not messing around. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Poke Lloyd. Poke's yeah, dead. Poke's dead. But Lloyd what's going to happen with Lloyd? Is in, uh, yeah, very interested to see where that comes. And it's such an interesting spot in the book, too. Because it's such a break. Because um, I think it comes right after one of the Nick chapters, right? Yeah. So it comes after a Nick chapter where we're talking about the opposite side of the law. And then we right. go right into that juxtaposition of two men on the run right. trying to get away from the law. I thought that was a really fun way to tell that story. And it also really, like, it makes me think that those two characters are going to be connected in that way. Like, because of the justice angle, like, those two might end up meeting each other sooner than anyone else. Same reason, like, I think uh, Larry and Franny will probably meet first just because of, like, where they are. Hmm. Um, Other than that. These are interesting theories. See, my biggest theory right now is just that someone did this on purpose. Is that, like, it's all, none of it was an accident. Right, right. And and that's the biggest thing for me. 
is that I just, I feel like we're going to find out somebody did this all on purpose, and it's going to be very scary. Uh, I also just like the way that they talk about, like, I feel like something culturally that's different between then and now is as much as there is a fear of the government in 2020, we have a lot more information and technology to, like, put our minds at ease, to, like, qualm ourselves, to quell, like, any kind of fears that we have right, about right. our government. In the 70s and 80s, if your crazy neighbor was saying that, like, the government was putting up spy satellites in the land next door, like... You were like, oh, here's your tinfoil hat. You're a I little made it scared. For you for uh, like you're, um, it's either, like, you believe them full-heartedly or you're like, wow, you're kind of crazy. Like, right. That's not right. true. Well, and, and uh, you know... To build into that, the access to information. Yep. Um, you know, the internet wasn't a thing yet. And so, you know, information was a whole lot. Um, there was some out there, but it wasn't as readily available at your fingertips. And so. And I mean, for every news reporter that you can kill, like they do, there's right. a news reporter you can just pay money to to say, like, don't say anything. Right. Or say what I want you to say. Mm-hmm. You know, which I, I mean, I feel like that there's that now, too. But. Um, and that, that there's a lot of misinformation available to us now. Um, but it, I feel like it was so much easier to get exactly only the information you wanted out. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. Does like, that make, yeah, 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 no, like it's all, it was a lot easier to spin things. Right. It the, was a lot easier to The world of the con- spinning was exactly, a lot easier. To control what information was out there. Or how people view that or information. How pe- yeah. So... It's very different. And we see that exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to completely cover it up and control how this information is spread. Right. While not in any way trying to control how the disease is spread, it seems. Right. Yeah, that's... that's... It's like they they don't care as much about the disease spreading as more well, as they care about they... like besmirching their name because they messed up this I think way. that Stucky they say kind, they of, kind of hits on that is that, you know, that they really can't control it. Mm-hmm. They can't control how the disease is spread because they try, they they at least make a show of effort by quarantining the towns and by shutting off the phones mm-hmm. and uh, but at the end of the day at the end of the day like like uh, Doctor Sohn says that Nick can just probably walk out through the field if he like is right. careful enough right so you can't control every single variable and aspect exactly um, even though the government would like to right. <laughs> uh, one little thing just about Stephen King's writing that I found mm-hmm. was really interesting that I wanted to point out is that he, the way that he will casually drop information about what someone likes. Mm-hmm. Like for specifically, for specifically, specifically I'm looking at Franny telling, talking to her father on the phone and uh, her dad says something about how Carla has the flu and she says, flu made who? Which right. is an ACDC lyric, and her dad's like, "What? I don't get it." But it's <laughs> right. like, "Oh, we know Franny likes slow, like not in our time. It's classic rock, so it's like, yeah. well, I mean, yeah. rock music, rock whatever music. you want." But that's again, I think that it comes back to how real mm-hmm. the characters yep. feel, and that's what I was just saying. Like, you that's know? what's so interesting to me is it's like you just get these little things. Like uh, we found out, like one of uh, Peter, or not Peter's, uh, Nick's favorite foods. Or, like, we find out that, like, Stu, like, will do that little joke and, like, mm-hmm. try and, like, find out information. Like, the ways that he has these characters do things is unique and different to each one of them. Yes. So we have, what, seven different unique characters right now. Right. That are all so different enough from each other that, like, I don't mind reading about each one of them. Except Franny. Like, 
But I mean, even Franny is getting to the point where I'm like interested but, because I, mean, I know but she has a personality. You just don't whether you she like does it have or a not. Personality. She has a personality. No, yeah, and she's you a, don't have to like her. That's either. fair. Yeah, and I feel you know, like that's like people in real life too. Like exactly, I can yeah. appreciate that you're talented or that you're a good person or like whatever, but I don't have to like you. Exactly. Yeah, and the way that Stephen King's writes these characters specifically in this novel like really shows why they have such longevity. Mm-hmm. It shows why in 2020 we're making we're still... a mini series about this thing that's 32 years old or 42, 42 years old. 42 years old. Yeah, this book that was originally Oof. published in 1978 is getting a. A fresh life and mm-hmm. I mean and it's not unusual they just re remade the it movies in the last couple yep. of years and that book was published in 1986 I so think... you know I mean it, it's it, I think it's a testament to his writing that the longevity mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that and it's interesting too because we talked a little bit about some of the writing, and just to counteract that same point, some of the writing is dated. Yes. The, all of the writing is not timeless. The characters right. the that characters. he creates are timeless mm-hmm. because there's so many things that you can connect to that it doesn't matter what time period they're living in because I've felt those emotions before. Right. Like, that's right. a similar thing that I've felt. But some of the... Verbiage. The verbiage and some of the specific references, mm-hmm. um, like... Uh, Franny references dialing for dollars or a salad master salesman. You know, do you know what salad master is? No idea what either of those things are. I happen to know what salad master (laughs) is because it was a really big thing in the early and mid 80s. It was cookware. But at the same time, we can say that that adds to the world that he's creating because it's quantifying and actually making the world of the 80s a real place in the novel. Right. Just because I don't know what the product is doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Right, right. And, but, you know, being able to actually remember that, Mm -hmm. um, I actually know what that is, but, but that's one of those things. And and there will be things throughout the book that, that you'll find that you'll be like, I don't, I don't know what that is. I, I don't know what he's referencing there just because, you know, you didn't grow up in that time frame. Um, so, but at the same time, it's interesting how much stuff transfers forward. Right, but Just the be- overarching mm-hmm. story is is pretty pretty timeless. So, you know. Anyway, there you go. That is chapter three. We got the, chapter, or chapter three. Well, chapter two. You're right. Chapter, chapter two. two of the stand. Yeah. Uh, so, so far, really great. Really loving it. Um, did you we'll have, do like twenty one through thirty next week? Can't wait. Um, you know, I think that. Well, you're just you're gonna really like where this. Story I'm excited, is going. like no, because I remember like when you had said originally we were gonna stop at 26. I had like skipped ahead and like mm-hmm. read like a couple of pages of it, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'm excited to see how it gets here. And yeah. so like now that like I'm almost there, I'm like, oh wow, okay, yeah, this is gonna be interesting to see because I really feel like we're on the precipice of like the, the country, meat of the story. yeah, like yeah. like of like the explosion, yeah, like it's it's really just building now, and. I can't wait to see that explosion. Mm -hmm. So this has been Otto and Kim, and this has been our first time through. We hope you enjoy your first time through. Otto, Kim, that was incredibly interesting. Great job today. If you would like to support First Time Through, you can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, or send us an email at firsttimethroughpodcast at gmail.com. You can also become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash first time through to get exclusive early access, to get exclusive videos, and to become our exclusive friends. If that's interested to you, I'm interested. First Time Through 
New Eyes on Castle Rock is produced by Empty Theater Productions. It's created by Kim Payne and Otto Mullins. Editing by Otto Mullins. Music by Jason Rager. Art by Kurt Payne at Who Knew Art.